Anderson with a slower ball. One of the great balls. That's a big hit. That's going all the way. Robert Sandals comes to the pick. That's on the roof. Hello everyone and welcome to the inaugural episode of the Top Edge Cricket Podcast, brought to you by Edge of the Crowns. I am your host Rory and this week I'm joined by a fellow co-founder of Edge of the Crowd, Dan. So Dan, how are we doing today? Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty good. It's good. I have to say as a, a bit of a test purist, I'm excited to have uh, Australian cricket on again. Um, I, I do struggle to get a little bit as excited about the uh, the yellow kit stuff. How are you, Rory? Yeah, not doing too bad. It's uh, especially difficult when it's on at you know, two o'clock in the morning. So it'd be a, a welcome change for it to be a little bit earlier. Uh, but before we get into everything, I think we'll just explain you know what we're doing and why we're doing it. So uh, it's massive, obviously, six months of cricket coming up. Uh, this test series against Sri Lanka, then the women in the Com Games in a month's time, and then we've got a World Cup later in the year. So I thought we'd just bring you as much cricket news as we can from Australia and you know a bit around the world. And uh, you know, if you like it, make sure you hit follow on Spotify or Apple if you use that platform for some reason. And uh, join us every week as we bring you all that. Uh, and then just a shout out before we get started as well to uh, Raja Goodwin Silver, who's updated and kind of redesigned our logo over the last couple of weeks. I think you'll agree, Dan. It's a, it's a vast improvement over what we had you know, when Jackie did it in five minutes before. Uh, Raja's design is superb. Um, really, it's, that's the only word for it, I think. Yeah. So if you need uh, design stuff, hit him up on Twitter. It's um, it's all uh, really good stuff. But uh, I think we'll we'll move on to our first topic of the week, and it's uh, Australia losing, unfortunately. So uh, yeah, they won the the T Twenty series two one, but they've um, yeah, kind of fell away in the one dayers with a bunch of injuries and and lost the ODI series three two. So what did you see that went wrong, Dan? Uh, I think firstly, not having so many of the first choice guys on the park just made such a big difference. I mean, when you have, I mean, there are seven guys who are injured out of the team. And I think realistically, three or four of them are absolutely in the best 11. And there's an argument to say that six or possibly even seven of them would have made the first choice 11 for this particular tool. Um and I don't think that Sri Lanka are a side that you can play a second choice team against and expect to win. Um, plain and simple, they outplayed us. It it was a bit of a sign and a concern that we didn't play the spinning conditions well. That that's concerning given we've got five test matches and there's plenty of subcontinental cricket coming up anyway. You know, we need to learn how to play spin fast. Um, but otherwise, I thought it was just you know that depth being stretched, people being thrown into unfamiliar roles, not not able to do the jobs that uh, they would normally do. And I think that cost us. Yeah, absolutely. Those, yeah, those spinning conditions are going to, you know, wreak havoc in these test matches. Uh, that, those last couple of ODIs, Sri Lanka bowled, I think it was 46 and 47 overs of spin in a, uh, in a one day game. So pretty, uh, pretty difficult stuff for Australians to contend with. I think what kind of summed it up was, you know, Travis Head and, and Matt Kuhneman getting flown in on a helicopter uh, the day before a, uh, a one-day game to play. I think those injuries, as you said, were, were just a bit much. Um, but, you know, they, it wasn't all bad. I think Glenn Maxwell played pretty well, 160 runs in the uh, in the five ODIs, and then Travis Head came in uh, and 120 in three games. So pretty good stuff from him. I think he probably should be staying in that side long-term. Yeah, I think 
we're starting to see with a number of those players who we've kind of branded test players um, over the last couple of years have actually really shown that they're very good cricketers and should probably be in a full strength side um, if we're going to take one. And obviously with so much cricket on the calendar, there is a discussion about whether you take a full strength side to every match. But I think that Travis Head has booked himself a permanent spot. And I think Alex Carey has started to quiet his critics with the gloves because that was much improved, especially in the spinning conditions. Um, wouldn't mind seeing a little bit more with the bat, but uh, glove work's a good start. What did you think, Rory? Yeah, I think, as you said, his glove work's great. Um, good to see a couple of South Australians in there. Probably not great for the Redbacks, though. They'll probably win. Uh, probably not, no games again this year. So, yeah, not ideal for them. But, uh, yeah, good to, good to see them in there. And as you said, Test players, so, you know, they're good cricketers in any form of the game, right? Josh Hazelwood uh, has, like, dominated white ball cricket. was good in the IPL and, and now is good again in this series. Uh, he only went for 57 runs in the three T20s and 20 of those came in one over. So pretty incredible stuff, really, from him. And unfortunately, he'll probably be sitting on the sidelines for these test matches because just because there's not enough spaces, right? We've got to play all these spinners. Yeah. But, well, uh, you seem to have found a, a new favourite, um, Rory, haven't you? Who's that? Matt Kuhneman. Yeah, Matt Kuhneman. Very good. Um, you know, he's kind of on the sidelines at Queensland because Swepps and Blades ahead of him. Uh, I think that should change. I think he's much better. I think one of them is probably going to have to move uh, away from Queensland at some point just to get a bit more opportunity. But, uh, yeah, he came in, played a couple of Australia A games, then kind of, I don't know, changed Australia's one-day lineup a little bit. Uh, you know, not as good as the bat with Ashton Agar, but a little bit better with the ball in terms of kind of that, that left-arm spin. So, yeah, uh, very impressive in his first couple of, of one-day games. And he, he could be playing a test match, you know, next week or the week after, depending on uh, what George Bailey and Andrew McDonald are looking for there. But I think the big one, and it's kind of been a question over the last... I don't know, six He's months at this point, tw- almost 12 months, Yeah, is uh, if Aaron Finch stays on as captain. He played all right in the, tw- uh, in the T20s, hit a half century in that first game. Where, you know, they were chasing 120, so not a lot of pressure. But, uh, yeah, it's just, just inconsistent, right? He is, and I, I'm a traditionalist in the sense that I still believe that if your captain is playing, your captain should captain. Um, yeah. And I know that, like, if your if your test captain is your number one captain, he should be the captain in all forms of cricket that he's playing for Australia. I know that it's much much harder in the limited overs cricket, where you also have to balance the number of overs that everyone's bowling. You can't just manage the spells, but actually, the the numbers and the math has to fit. But I also think your captain needs to be in the side. And at the moment, I have serious questions about whether Aaron Finch is there if not for the C next to his name. And that makes me think that he probably shouldn't have that and maybe shouldn't be in the side. Yeah, exactly. I think um, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but Owen Morgan's kind of in the same boat for England. Uh, if you're not making runs and you're, you're at the top of the order, you just, you can't stay, right? If we're talking about captains who haven't made any runs, we'll get to that a little bit later on. But he, Owen yeah. Morgan's not going to be the only one in the firing line, I think. No, very true. Uh, but yeah, uh, and there's been, it's been raised and discussed that, um, David Warner's captaincy ban uh, might be lifted. Obviously, that came in after Sandpaper and, and what happened in Johannesburg. Do you think that's the right way to go down? I would like to see his captaincy ban lifted because I think he has shown a very clear intent to rehabilitate himself and to, to change the attitude. And I don't think he's the same Davy Warner who got in trouble in Johannesburg. That said, I don't think he's the answer at captain either. Um, 
I would like to see him take on a leadership role, maybe at one of the BBL franchises. But I think that as a national captain, um, I'd be looking to someone who is a support for the future. And at the end of the day, Davey Warner is not in the front half of his career, um, probably not in the prime of his career anymore either. And there's not much point moving from a captain who is on the back half to a captain who is further down the back half. I'd, I'd like to see someone younger. Yeah, I think um, David Warner's two years older than Finch. So, you know, even if it were to happen, it would be at most for like the World Cup and that would be it. So, yeah, not really a, a selection for the future. And, and as you said, Pat Cummins will probably be in that side anyway. So if you're going to go anywhere, that would probably be the way to go. Although, you know, it's going to be a, a lot of work between test matches and IPL and, and all of this stuff. So, yeah, not not ideal, that's for sure. And, but, you know, I think Finch will probably stay that he did just enough, as he seems to do. Uh, it was a bit like Mitch Marsh used to do in the test team. He'd do just enough oh, not to get dropped every time. Insane. <laughs> yeah, Shane Watson used to do it a little bit as well. Like he'd, he'd be on the way out and he'd just hit a 50 and stay in. And that kind of went on for a couple of and, years. And it's so. always it's always the all-rounders. They pick up two or three wickets where they get just enough runs that like you can justify it with their other skill and all yeah. of a sudden they stick around. Yeah, that's it. Uh, the other question that came out of it was Steve Smith. So uh, he obviously only batted twice with with uh, Australia winning that first one by 10 wickets, but, you know, 42 runs at a strike rate of 135. It's not really good enough for T20 cricket, is it? I think there are certain situations where it is worth having someone like Steve Smith. I think if you've got guys who are going to go hell for leather and a very hit and miss, then you want to have someone like that just as a, a bit of a glue, someone who can jump up and down the order depending on what you need. But given the way that the Australian selection has worked and we've got guys like Warner and there's this bloke called Tim who can't seem to get a run. Um, I do wonder whether we should have Tim instead of C. Yeah. Uh, Tim David, the man with two first names. Yes. Uh, One of the men with two first names. There's plenty of them rolling around in cricket at the moment. Very true. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's smashing it all around the world, right? He's you know, averaging 36 in T20 cricket. Strike rate of 180. It's kind of a little bit ridiculous to be to be doing that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, he just kind of sits on the sidelines and and isn't really playing for Australia. He doesn't even seem to be in the framework, uh, kind of on the outer a little bit. And you know, it doesn't help. He doesn't play state cricket. He's kind of just a T20 mercenary. But you know, the numbers don't lie, do they? He's he's just I don't know, too good not to pick. He seems to be in the T20 mercenary mold mold a little bit like Dan Christian. Um, yeah. And Dan Christian kept his spot for a long time. And yes, he he got his spot and he picked up his spot playing state cricket. But Tim David was, correct me if I'm wrong, the richest uh, Australian in last year's IPL auction. Yeah, the richest player at all. That's One, probably 1. a sign. Million. Like when the whole world is evaluating a player's talent and saying, we are happy to throw more money at him than any other player in the world, probably got to start listening at least a little bit. Like, bring him into the framework, have him on the radar. If and, and if that's not the case, if there is something like a chemistry problem or he's not eligible for some reason, or something, come out and tell us, get on the front foot and be like, this is why you know, we're on the same page with him and this is just how it's going to go um, rather than keeping that speculation. Because um, I think also it'll help everyone else in the side who's not going to feel like they're looking over their shoulder. Yeah, well, that's right. The the biggest issue for the players at the moment seems to be that, you know, Tim David's waiting on the sidelines and he's just going to get, you know, helicoptered in to that first game at the SCG for the World Cup. Uh, someone that's been there for years 
is just going to lose their spot because, you know, we've got to pick Tim David because he's too good. Uh, I think it's a little bit of a cricket issue out their arrogance, really. Uh, they just kind of, you know, Australian cricket's the most important thing in the world. If you're not playing for Tasmania in Tim David's case, then you don't deserve to be playing at all. And I think that's uh, kind of what, what it's come down to. And I think it's a, a bad move going forward. See, I, I'm torn on this because I'm also a rugby union fan and obviously rugby mm. union's in a very similar state where you've got a bunch of players who aren't playing in the provincial game. And in rugby union, they've obviously got a service requirement. You play a certain number of yeah. tests as a domestically contracted player and you can go international and be a bit of a mercenary. I don't have a problem with Tim David being helicoptered in for the first game at the SCG if he merits a spot. Yeah. I do think it's going to cause some friction if that's the case. And that's probably where there's a failing because we can see that. There are people who are smarter than us in the cricket framework. I'm sure that they've seen that too. And they're still going to go ahead and do it. And uh, that does concern me. Yeah. I think what the selectors and Cricket Australia whole are worried about is people doing this in the future. Um, So if you've got a young 20 year old who's, you know, a great 2020 player, but not so good at, at four-day cricket or whatever, they'll just give up on the state stuff and they'll go around the world and, you know, hit sixes and make millions of dollars that way and, and kind of ignore Australian cricket until it gets to the point where they want to play for Australia. And I think what Australia is trying to do here is just kind of consolidate their brand and have their players play in their leagues. Uh, it's kind of a little bit what India is doing, you know, and, and not rewarding Tim Davids, a little bit a part of that. I think the difference, of course, is that he does play in the Big Bash, right? So he plays for Hobart. He's he's playing there. Um, You know, no one's suggesting that he gets picked in the test team on current form. He's got to play some cricket for longer than three and a half hours if he wants to be picked in the test team. And I'm sure he knows that too. And he's made the decision that, you know, there are plenty of players who've made the decision that actually four-day cricket's not a career they want to pursue. And we've got to start looking at the fact that you know, Davey Warner's a bit of an outlier. and He was a, a T20 guy who said, I want to play four-day cricket. I'm going to commit to building my game in a different way so that I can play long cricket. But there are going to be guys more and more that just aren't interested in grinding out a 220-ball 80 to save a test match. It's just not not something that interests them, and that's fine. Yeah, and, and like from a money point of view, Tim David's made probably upwards of $3 million this year alone traveling the world playing T20 cricket. The, the central contacts for Australia are just over one and a half. Um, it just doesn't make financial sense for him to even, even try that, let alone, you know, go get paid $100,000 a year to play for Tassie. It's just, it just doesn't really work. So, I mean, if something like the baggy green motivates you, then you're going to be okay taking that pay cut and doing that. Yeah. If it's not, why should we require you to do that anyway? Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's move on though. That's enough uh, white ball stuff. Get into the red ball stuff that you oh, love. Thank Dan. goodness. Yeah. So uh, we've got Australia and Sri Lanka. Obviously, their first test starts in on the 29th of June, about 3 p.m. I think it starts. So that's a, a little bit better for Australia. Uh, a lot less late nights for myself, which is good. Uh, the big news. I might, even, I might even help you out on a couple of those days. Yeah, then that, that would be great. Um, yeah. The big news: Glenn Maxwell in for the first time since 2017. I think someone was reading your column. That's that's all I'm going to say on that because I, yeah, I might throw to you here because uh, you've been banging on this door for for months now about this. Yeah, so there's there's been two campaigns I've been running over the last couple of years. The first one was to get Travis Head in the test side. That worked. Um, he hit 100 in his first test back. Then you know, man of the series in the Ashes. Uh, he gets injured. 
Glenn Maxwell comes in, so I don't know. If George Bailey's listening, he could at least give me a call beforehand and let me know. That would be great. But, uh, yeah, Actually, absolutely. I reckon that he shouldn't give you a call. He should offer you a job as a yeah, selector I'll, and maybe do that I'll instead. That would be um pretty good. Uh, anyway, yeah, but, yeah, first test since 2017. Hasn't played a, a first-class game since the pandemic. So this is, you know, all based on white ball form. But, you know, as we saw in India, hundreds in you know, hundreds in the subcontinent, difficult to come by, and he's apart from Steve Smith, the only one that's got one. Yeah, and I mean, we, we talked about white ball form and, and there's a little bit of a difference between him and Tim David is that he's yeah. done it at test level. He's shown the ability to knuckle down and play five-day tests. And in conditions like this, it's a little bit like I've been saying with Kawaja for a long time is that mm. you have to pick him for subconscious because he can play spin better than just about everyone else. And um, what was it, 47 and 46 of the last 100 overs at Sri Lanka have bowled? Have yeah, been, that's it. Um, All like, spin. It's going to be spin. Um, if you've got a guy who can play spin well, and especially a guy who can then chip in and bowl some overs as well, mm-hmm. um, he's definitely someone I'd be thinking about picking. Yeah, uh, he spins the ball most, uh, more than most of the bowlers. And I think, you know, Travis Head also would have bowled a bit. So it's good to have him come in and kind of replace that role. But, yeah, as you said, he plays spin better than anyone. I'm a little bit worried about Cam Green, um, you know, watching him against the spinning ball. Uh, he's just too big, uh, in my opinion. Like, at six foot eight, he can't get the bat down in time. Uh, his, his leg's too big. He's going to hit on the pad. Uh, but they probably need him for his bowling. So I think they'll probably drop him down the order a little bit, but he'll still I be think there. Also, you can work with that because, you know, if you're that far, you're a big step forward and it is like... <laughs> It's going to be three and a half meters outside the crease with one big lunge almost. Like he, he yeah. should be able to, yes, he gets hit on the pad out there. But at that point, no one seriously is going to call him LBW unless it's hit him on the full. So I think that actually he's just got to learn to bat with the different conditions. And having someone like Kawaja, having someone like Maxi, hopefully will help him. Um, as they'll be able to kind of train him a little bit. And I hope that that's something that, that we see across the side is that the guys who are more experienced and have the techniques for spin, and I say have the techniques because Steve Smith plays spin, but I wouldn't recommend anyone try and do what he does. Um, but hopefully the guys who are quite good at playing the spin, um, even if you can't pick it, are teaching some of the other guys how just to adjust to different conditions. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's going to be the role there. And with, you know, four tests against India coming up at the start of next year, this is kind of a, a practice series for that, I would have thought. Uh, the other thing with Glenn Maxwell is that, you know, he can score faster than just about anyone. And I think when there is moments in these tests where you can score fast, you really have to take advantage of it just because of, you know, at any point there can be a ball that stays low or, or spins, you know, half a foot and all of a sudden uh, you're gone. So you really have to be able to take advantage of that. And that's what uh, Glenn Maxwell will offer. I think if he if he does well in these couple of tests, we could, you know, well see him in the summer, and then who knows what happens after that. Yeah, I mean it's similar. Travis Head um, obviously played a lot of that role over the Ashes series for Australia, but having seen um, you know that Aussie lineup, and we talked a little bit before we got on about that projector lamp, the person who I'd most like to see take on the role of the fast score is actually Cam Green, because he looks far and away at his best batting when he's on the attack. When he defends it, it just seems like it's a matter of time before he gets one. But when he goes on the attack, he scores quickly and he makes people look bad. And as a batter, that's really the two things you want to be doing is making your bowler frustrated and scoring fast. So 
having a maxi green carry bottom half of the middle order should give them a chance to boost the total if the conditions are right. And they are all capable of knuckling down and, and really prizing their wickets. So hopefully there's some good sense and they can choose how they go. Yeah, absolutely. And and by no means is Max or just a, like a big hitter. Um, that 100 he hit in India was off 280 balls. So yeah, uh, he'll be able to play literally any role, I would have thought. But uh, as you mentioned earlier, Australia's injuries are, are pretty horrific. Uh, a few of these guys wouldn't have featured in the uh, test team, but it's still pretty bad. So you've got Ashton Agar, who probably would have played. He's got a side injury. Uh, Marcus Stoinis and, and Sean Abbott. Uh, Kane Richardson are all out. They're back in Australia now. But Mitch Stark... He should be back, but he uh, was an odd one. He kind of he cut his finger on his spikes as he was bowling. It was uh, very odd, and he couldn't play in any of the white ball stuff. Uh, Mitch Marsh, the most injured man in the world, once again a hamstring. Uh, Steve Smith, a small thigh injury, but he should be all right. And then Travis Head did a hamstring, as we said, a couple of days ago. So uh, it's not certain. He might be back for the second test, but it's not looking great. So with all that in mind, Dan, who did you pick for your 11? Well, that. By my count, there were only 12 blokes who you could have picked from uh, yeah. <laughs> or pretty close to. So uh, obviously I'm opening, uh, my opening pair will be Warner and Kawaja. Manus at three, Steve Smith at four. Um, I've got Maxi at five as well, filling that Travis head roll. Um, Green at six as he's starting to make that position his own. And I like the stability of him having a designated role and and you know, a little bit like Mike Hussey for a long time, just anchored the innings one way or another. I'd like to see Green start to fill that. Kerry at seven and um, assuming fitness, uh, Stark and Cummins as the two quicks and Swepson and Lyon as the two spinners. Yeah, so I've gone just one different from you. So everything else is correct. Maxi at five, all that. Uh, I've gone Matt Kuhneman instead of Mitch Swepson uh, just because, look, Swepson, he played couple of tests in Pakistan, all this white ball stuff. He just hasn't really impressed me all that much. His leg spin is kind of erratic. And if we want erratic leg spin that turns, Manus is already there. So that's my thinking. Like Manus and Steve Smith can bowl the leg spin if they need to. And then we've got, you know, Lyon and Maxwell. Uh, there's plenty of spin there. And then Matt Kuhneman will just offer something a little bit different with that left arm. So... Yeah. yeah, that's my thinking there. I don't disagree. I, I've gone with Swepson, one, because he's been in the test arena. And I know his figures in Pakistan weren't great, but it's also fair to say that there were a number of times where there were dropped catches and missed. I yes. mean, he, his figures could have been very, very different if it wasn't in, and they weren't, that wasn't in his control. So I don't think he's been that bad. And I, I am a little bit worried about how raw Matt Kuhneman is. Um, he hasn't been in the system that long. He hasn't been playing much four-day cricket because, as you said, he's behind Swepson in the pecking order. And so I think to be thrust into uh, Sri Lanka from a fair way back, um, and I know that there is a guy who's done exactly that and made a pretty good career as a spinner for Australia. Yes. <laughs> um, but lightning doesn't always strike twice. Yeah, that is, that's definitely true. I think uh, yeah, Swepson will spin the ball more. Uh, but I don't know. Kuhnman offers a bit more control, which I think they're going to need to be able to keep that, uh, keep those totals down. Uh, what do I think they're going to go with? I think they'll probably play Maxwell at seven, um, which I think is just too low and doesn't really so make sense. You think they have Green at five, Kerry yeah. at six, and Ma- oh, yeah, I don't like it. I so I, what I think batting him at seven would do is like set him up to fail. 
Uh, yeah, because he's got to go out and smack the ball around. It doesn't give him a chance to build the knees. But also, we've discussed that Green and Kerry are not in the world's greatest nick with the bat. Yep. Um, why kind of interrupt your tail with Maxi rather than make mm-hmm. it a proper tail and give Green a platform? Because it wouldn't shock anyone if, you know, Warner, Kawaja and Manas get three stunners and all mm-hmm. of a sudden Green's out there at three for 14 or something. And it's like, well... Are we expecting him to, to anchor the innings or are we expecting it to be four for in not very long? Yeah, exactly. And I think uh, Green and, and Carey, their positions are pretty solid, right? They're, they're long-term prospects. They're going to be playing for the next, I don't know, 20 years in Green's case and, and 10 for Carey. So there's plenty of cricket for those two. And I think Maxwell's the only one really playing for his spot. And I think they should yeah. really just, just play him wherever he wants to be played. I think that's, you know, apart from Smith, he's... You know, kind of the best in these conditions and should be batting where he wants to. But I think um, they're also going to go with Swepson instead of Kuhneman. So I think, yeah, I think you've probably nailed it on the head. Going back to the Maxi thing, I think also it makes sense that realistically his spot is Travis Heads at the moment. That's yeah. that's the spot they're competing for. Why are we shuffling the entire middle order for a play when we have a essentially a like-for-like replacement? Why don't just swap a guy straight in? Yeah, uh, exactly right. It, it it doesn't make sense to me, but I think that's the way they're going to go. They bat Maxwell at seven in the ODI game, so yeah, it seems to be the way the way they're they're going. Uh, where this game's going to be won and lost, though, it's spin, right? It's just going to be spin the whole time. Uh, I watched the, I think it was Sri Lanka and West Indies tour. Don't worry, I got paid to do that. It wasn't for free. I'm not that crazy. I know, um, so. <laughs> but. Uh, the only spin, uh, the only pace that I saw was with the second new ball on the fourth day. That was in the whole test. That was it. So I think we'll see a bit more from Australia, obviously with, you know, Cummins and, and Stark both playing, but it's going to be spin for most of the day. Yeah. And I think it's it's actually going to be really important to see how our part-timers go. It's going to be how much Manus and Smith and Maxi can chip in and bowl quality overs because, yes, Nathan Lyon can just he'll bowl until his finger is blistered and raw, but it's actually not a good strategy. Just bowl him into the ground. If you can get the part-timers to mix it up, especially a guy like Smithy, who really is quite a good leg spinner. Um, You know, he got picked as that originally. Yeah, that's Um, right. So I'd like to see him, but he, I think actually Steve Smith is going to be the most important player for Australia because one, he's going to have to chip in with overs. And two, if he doesn't hit runs, we aren't going to post big enough totals to win. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that was the issue last time around. Even though, like, Steve Smith was hitting runs, no one else was, and we couldn't post any more than kind of 250, and that's just not going to win your tests. Uh, I'm a little bit worried, though. You know, Steve Smith hasn't hit a century since January of 2021. His average is now below 60, still, like, one of the best of all time. But he's, I don't know, is he, do you think he's on the way down or do you think this is kind of a temporary thing? I think it's a dip. I think what we're seeing at the moment is actually a little bit in world cricket, a correction where we've got some of the best bowlers that we've ever seen. Um, and I don't think they're getting the credit for how well they are currently understanding their pitches and their balls and they're using them. And that's, you know, Pat Cummins, Josh Hazelwood, Mitch Stark, are three test bowlers who probably walk into any test side ever. Yeah. Um, Stuart Broad and James Anderson are two English bowlers that, you know, they are the best English bowlers that we've ever seen. India's got some great young bowlers coming up. 
you know, the South African ball is obviously in the lieu of a generational change with Dale Steyn, Dunn and Vernon Philander on the way out. Um, but I think we're seeing just the moment that there are some excellent bowlers around and those guys like Steve Smith and Virat Kohli um, have put so much tape out there from years of smacking the bowlers mm-hmm. around that people have had time to sit and work out how to interrupt them and it's on the batters to respond. But I think I don't think it's Steve Smith's lost his ability. I think he just needs to figure out how to beat the tactics. Yeah, I think I think that's exactly right. Bowlers have got uh, much better even if the uh, the older players won't tell you that they all think they bowled at like 180 k's an hour and, and thought they were all geniuses. So, uh, yeah, I think um, yeah, bowlers are, are much better all around the world. I think also think Virat Kohli is a bit overrated and always has been. Well, you wouldn't compare a guy that averages 40 to a guy that averages 50. So yeah. why do we compare Kohli at 50 to Smith at 60? So that, yeah. that doesn't work for me. But I think we do go through swings and and, and bat and ball. I mean, the 80s and 90s were were pretty ball dominated with those mm-hmm. West Indians who terrified everyone and and i don't think they're exaggerating when they say how scary they were but you look at the kind of early 2000s and you know mcgraw was brilliant but he wasn't an intimidating bowler <laughs> shane Warne didn't scare anyone by what he was doing to your body it was the fact that he could make the ball turn at right angles um, but it was a batter's generation really and i think now we're seeing that that swift uh swing again but we'll move away from Australia a little bit now because um, there is cricket going on around the world. And Roy, you asked the really big question, didn't you? Is Owen Morgan done? I was <laughs> talking about the good? other one. Yeah, that one. The, is England good? <laughs> uh, they look good, don't they? Um, you know, they won a couple of tests against New Zealand who seemed to be on the way down after winning the, the test championship last year. Uh, you know, what Johnny Bairstow and Ben Stokes did in that second test Chasing 350 overs was um, some of the best cricket I've ever seen. I think like to do that in a test match in front of a home crowd, uh, day five, uh, all the tickets were free, full house. It was it literally could have been could have been better. It was Adelaide esque. That was that was all I could think of actually. But I I'm not sure the answer to is England good at cricket again is yes. Um, I think one of the things that we've seen for a long time now is that teams win test series at home and they do it quite convincingly. And then they go on the road and they get smacked by the team that wins at home convincingly. And that's how you know you're good at cricket is that you win away from home because you should be winning at home in your conditions with your choice of balls, your choice of surfaces. And let's let's not joke around curators that are, are helping to make sure that you get what you need. Um, yeah. do it away from home and I'll be impressed. But until then, I'm going to hold my judgment. Yeah, uh, that's all, all definitely true. And and I think, look, they're the same team that lost to Australia, aren't they? Like, nothing's really changed. They got one different opening batter, but that's that's it. And he hasn't even scored a run. So, yeah, I, I, I don't think you can take too much away from um, from New Zealand, but they, they just haven't been great either. I also think the Ashes were... Australia was a bit lucky that Ben Stokes was far from himself. Yeah. Um, this is a very different Ben Stokes to the one that Australia dominated. Um, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, and obviously, you know, Ben Stokes is captain now and, and the way he's leading that side is, um, you know, very different, very aggressive, all that kind of stuff, a little bit Australian in some ways. But the guy that's that gave up the captaincy, Joe Root, he's hit 10 centuries in the last two years now, uh, just dominating against New Zealand. 
Uh, he's, do you think he's the best batter in the world? Yeah, at the moment he is. Um, I think I don't know that he's the most talented batsman in the world, but at the moment he is the best batsman in the world. Um, and yet I think uh, the only thing that I'd like to see is uh, some some runs here. Yeah, uh, definitely true. Yeah, I'd, look, he'll probably make the next Ashes Ashes tour down here, and that'd be it. But yeah, he still hasn't hit the century in Australia, and I think that'll be the final thing he has to tick off tick off that board before he retires. If he doesn't get there, can he go into the pantheon of the all time greats? I think he's already there. Even he's if England's- he gets to the end of his career, and it's like the one thing he never did is hit a century in Australia on yeah, the hardest think- tour there is for Englishmen. Yeah, I think he's he's 31. He's like only 31 now. He's got over 10,000 test runs. Um, you know, he, he's captain his country for the most tests ever, most wins ever. I think he's I think he's already there. Uh, the other thing we saw from England, so they've been playing two teams at the moment, which has been interesting. Uh, white ball team and a red ball team. They um they went to the Netherlands, a good uh, good party spot in Amsterdam, and and kind of put on a put on a show four for 498 in that first ODI. It is the Netherlands. And it was uh, a ground that put uh, the Newlands to shame. And the Newlands was small the day that England, Australia and South Africa hit 880 runs. That was a, a small ground that day. And the ground in Amsterdam was uh, about the same size as the village green around the corner from me. Um, I do take four for 498 against a Dutch team with uh, a pretty hefty grain of salt, I have to say. Yeah, def- definitely true. But, you know, you've still got to hit the runs at the end of the day and uh, they're not bad players, the Dutch, but, yeah, they're not Australia. They're not India, any of that stuff. Uh, I think the biggest issue for the Dutch was that they've got, you know, four or five players playing in county cricket in England who literally couldn't afford the time off uh, yeah. to come and play for their country. So that's kind of the state of where the, where their cricket is at. Hopefully this tour kind of, I don't know, increases the popularity in, in the Netherlands and, and they can get bigger teams and better teams to come out year on year and really make it a professional kind of setup. Well, I think also one of the other big things is that having England be the first one to tour um, is a really good move because England is close enough that the English can come and watch. And so you get the visiting fans, you get a Barmy army group. And I did see a TikTok of, uh, the Barmy Army trumpeter that was uh, in the Netherlands on one day and the next morning at Headingley for Jerusalem at 7am, yes. which is a rough go for a Barmy Army trumpeter. But having fans be able to travel like that will only boost the money going into the Dutch game. And look, they lost by 230 runs in that first ODI, which means that they scored 270 that's not bad. Like that's a, a pretty respectable score given that you've got four or five of your best players out. So there's definitely potential there. Um, hopefully we do start see because the expansion of cricket is good for everyone. Yeah. And uh, we'll see the Olympics have cricket. Uh, it looks like 2028. So that'll, that'll just help everyone, especially the Dutch as well. So hopefully they can get their act together a little bit, but where they did do well was against Owen Morgan. He played the first two games, two ducks, and then was injured for the last one. Hasn't hit a half century since 2018, uh, 2020, sorry, and is averaging 18 in 2020 cricket. Uh, England it's, have about 700 good 2020 players. Is Owen Morgan one of them? It feels like low-hanging fruit for you to ask me this question, Rory. 
It yes, really does. I think, um, look, I, I have to say that I was never the biggest fan of Owen Morgan. I thought he was probably overhyped in the beginning. Uh, that view has not improved since seeing him drop off the face of the earth. Um, so, yes, my answer is play Liam Livingston. Yeah, uh, I think it, I think that's the way to go. Um, Liam Livingston is a is a freak. I think there's only one person who hits the ball further than Tim David, and it's Liam Livingston. So I think he he has to play, and I think uh, Owen Morgan will probably have to go. He's basically you know he plays as a coach these days. I think just get him in the coaching team and and let him do let him do that job. I think uh, yeah, it's it's he's just too far gone. And and in reality, I don't think he's been that impressive throughout his career either. Yeah, I mean, I, as I said, I wasn't the the biggest believer in him to begin with, um, but also it's time for a generational change because. England don't want to get into the spot where some other teams have gotten into where they don't have a clear succession plan. And yeah. all of a sudden, I mean, Joe Root's 31. Ben Stokes isn't a young man. Um, you know, Alistair Cook was, was an old man when he retired. Um, you don't want to get to a point where all your leaders retire at once and you really don't have anyone to fill the void. No disrespect to the... Um, Zach Crawley's of the world who are likely to take the leadership up in the next generation. If England is uh, has Zach Crawley as test captain, they might as well just go play the Dutch every week because you know they're not going to be competing against anyone else. Uh, let's move on to some some more Red Bull stuff. England's about to play India. They're going to finish off uh, a test series from last year that England uh, that India left early from. Uh, they wanted to go to the IPL early, so you know they can just call off test matches because they're India. Um, it's the first time ever that they're going to play the last test of a series with two different captains from when it started. So uh, Virat Kohli and, and Joe Root, previous captains, obviously. Now they've got Rohit Sharma and Ben Stokes. Uh, who do you think is going to win? England need the win to draw the series. What do you think is going to happen? I think England will. I think having Bairstow and Stokes in the kind of form that they're in and but, uh, Broad and Anderson wanting to put on a show and the home conditions, I think there's enough going for them that they get the job done. Yeah, I, yep. I would 100% agree with that. I think uh, India have played a couple of, of warm-up games. They haven't really done well. They had a, a guy from Leicestershire called Roman Walker. Hasn't played a single first-class game, and he took five for against India. So, uh, yeah, I don't think they're in a good spot. I think Virat Kohli is a big part of that. I don't see how he makes their best team uh, anymore. Hasn't hit a, a century since before the pandemic. So, yeah, not not great. I don't see how he, how he keeps his spot. They've got a guy in the Ranji Trophy. I think his name's uh, Shafraz Khan. He's averaging 85 in first-class cricket, and he can't get into the team because Virat Kohli is like, taking that spot. I mean, it's... at this point, India do have the depth to play two yeah. top flight. I, I think Virat Kohli is a good player, um, but I do think that he needs a little bit of a break. Um you know, Steve Smith obviously had an enforced break, but when he came back, he did, you know, when he was first got back, he was really, he was scoring runs like it was going out of fashion. Uh, and sometimes it's just a bit of time, away, especially for someone like a Coley who is in such an overwhelming cricket environment. I mean, that must, that must be cricket 24-7 every second of the day. And so actually to step away from it might do him some good. Uh, and might rediscover his form because he is a beautiful stroke player, um, even if he's not at the top of his game at the moment. Yeah, and no, I think you're right. He's got to he's got to leave India. I think for a little bit. Um, he always like he can't walk on the streets in India because he'll get swarmed by mobs. So I think if he gets out of India, 
has a bit of a holiday, a couple of months off and, and gets back to it. I think that'll probably be what's best for him. And hopefully he can do that after these tests. I know they've got a little bit of a break before the World Cup. So that, that might be the best way to go. The Maldives uh, are nice this time of year. Maldives are nice every time of year. <laughs> uh, I think we'll move to a, the first uh, you know, different kind of segment. We've got six are out. So basic premise here. I'll chuck you a question. You chuck me a question. You get 30 seconds to either disagree or agree. If you agree, six, disagree, out. Pretty simple. All right. Here comes the first one. Glenn Maxwell should be the next white ball captain, not David Warner. Disagree. I don't think either of them are the next white ball captain for Australia. I think that maybe someone like Manus, um, maybe someone like Cam Green, because realistically that's who we're grooming to be the long-term test captain and white ball cricket's a good place to start. Um, But I don't think that either of the plus 30 guys are the right way to go. Interesting. I I disagree. I I think he's probably the best best short-term pick, that's for sure. And I think Travis Head's probably more long-term. Okay. Uh, women's cricket should split from the ICC in order to grow the game. Uh, well, I disagree. I think the ICC is important. I think that their funding uh, helps those smaller countries, but uh, I'm sure this is you know based on the comments by uh, the, the ICC yep. secretary and uh, saying that test cricket's kind of dead. Um, I disagree with those comments, obviously. There's got a, England has a test match against South Africa this week, so... Uh, test cricket's here to stay, but I think it's, I think overall, like in every form, I think test cricket's going to die off a little bit. I think T20 is kind of the way everything's going and the IPL is the way everything's going. So that's um, kind of the basis of my next question as well. So in 10 years time, will the IPL be the most predominant form of cricket in the world? Yes. I think the amount of money that is going through that now, and, and that's part of India being the second most populous country in the world and them having a single-minded cricket obsession as a nation um, is that it will just, without a doubt, become the dominant form. And people will build their sporting, their cricket calendars around having the IPL and maybe at some point the IPL warm-up tournament because I expect that to come in not that far away. Yeah, maybe the IPL twos as well. (laughs) I'd like to see an IPL women's, actually. That would be the the nice next step. That would be good. the umpire's call mechanism in DRS is broken. Oh, interesting. Okay, well, we saw that DRS was broken in the uh, England India, uh, New Zealand test. It didn't work at all, so uh, that's not ideal. I think umpire's call. Yeah, I agree. I think it's got to go. Um, if the ball's hitting the stumps, it's hitting the stumps. Um, it's pretty rare that it'll, it'll hit the stumps and not uh, not take the bails off. Although we did see it with Cam Green uh, in the Ashes, so. Yeah, I think um, it just doesn't doesn't really work, right? If it's going to hit the stumps, it's going to hit the stumps. I think we're trying to uh, keep the on-field umpires a little bit too happy. I also think that at one point, Hawkeye used to be a little bit unreliable, but at this point, the technology yeah. is so good. Yeah, that's exactly, exactly right. Uh, my last one, Joe Root will overtake Sachin Tendulkar for the most test runs ever. So he needs about 6,000 more. He's only 31. In the last couple of years, he's averaged about 1,500 a year. I don't think so. I think he's going to fall a couple of hundred runs short in the end. I think that uh, that it'll just take one season too many. Um, I think there's going to be a couple of hard tours. And we talked about the move of the bowlers kind of dominating the bats at the moment. So I think that actually he will fall ever so slightly short. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd agree. I think um, 
Tendulka had the advantage of, you know, debuting at 16 and playing till he was 40. So, yeah, a little bit of help there. And uh, he had some some nice curators over the years as well. In some, some of those dust balls were... <laughs> and no one to tell him that he was actually finished. Yeah, well, that's that's the other thing. I think that England will um, slowly shuffle Joe Root out the door. Um, ODI cricket isn't played in... At, like 50 over cricket isn't played in 10 years. Uh, interesting. I, um, no, I disagree. I think the World Cup, 50 over World Cup, is still the biggest uh, draw card internationally. I think the money that it brings in and the viewers uh, is better than anything in the world. But, you know, these bilateral 50 over series, as we saw, like Sri Lanka in Australia, those press conferences had six journalists in them from Australia. Like, there's not even any interest at all, whether it's from the viewing public or or media. So I think it's it's definitely on the way out. The only thing is... 50 overs, like 100 overs in a day. It's a lot of ad time and it's good for revenue. So, Yeah, the flip side is that there is also a caveat on those press conferences in that they were at an ungodly hour. That is also um, true, yeah. And if you're working at, you know, a top-line newspaper, you can't write something for print because it's not going to print until more than 24 hours after the end of the game. And that's just too long. Yeah, it was yeah a little bit um, dull, those press conferences. But anyway, let's move on. Uh, the Big Bash has made some some massive changes uh, this week. We've seen the they brought in the, like the I don't know the power play stuff and you know the bonus point at ten overs and all that over the last couple of years. But they've now brought in a draft, so players are going to nominate in the four categories: uh, platinum, gold, silver, bronze, all that stuff. Platinum players can earn up to three hundred forty thousand for what is a I don't know, couple of months tournament, so pretty good money there. Uh, and the order is determined by a two tier lottery. With the finals teams from last year in one tier, and then the non-finals teams, they'll go first and they're in another tier. So what do you think of a draft system? Obviously, we see it in the NBA and, and a lot of American sports and I guess the AFL. What do you reckon? Is this the right move? I don't know. Um, I think part of the reason that it works in uh, so many sports like the NBA and the NFL and the AFL is that players play for the same franchises for large chunks of, if not their whole careers. Um, And the other part of it is that fans are very much engaged with the teams um, and they're, you know, historical teams and and there's big historical support. Um, And the BBL does just not have that. It doesn't have the history of it, which, you know, is fine because it's new and innovative, but I don't think it has that fan loyalty. I think that's still at the stage where people support players, not teams and having the risk of players changing teams regularly. Um, and I know we talk about international players, not domestics. Um, I still think is a bit of a risk. The upside is that, you know, some of those teams that have kind of historically struggled, <laughs> Brisbane Heat, what, um, might have a chance at uh, winning the championship now. Yeah, so, look, I think, um, I don't see how this is really any different to what happened before, right? So teams would would bid on international players just in secret, but everyone knew who was up for grabs and, and when they're up for grabs and how much money they were going uh, going to go for. This is just trying to make it more public, I guess, and kind of get some fan engagement before the tournament begins. Well, the other side of it is also that, like, when you have a clear draft order, um, you know, people aren't going to... You can't kind of price yourself out and then choose to only negotiate with one team. You know, if a team picks you in the draft, you're going there. Um, and I think that is probably good for the sport in the long run, but I don't think it's going to make a huge difference in the short run. And 
this seems to be a little bit of solving a problem that isn't top of mind for most people. I think there are more pressing issues with the Big Bash than where the international players find themselves. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. The tournaments, you know, it's too long. It's just a TV show on at night instead of home and away. Um, like, there's no real context to it. And the, the later matters, matches uh, don't really matter at all because it's kind of all dead rubbers. The So the difference between this draft, I think, and what we see in the AFL or the NBA or, or even the NFL is that in those sports, the difference between that first player picked and, say, the 25th player is a lot more because they're yeah. like those really young players. They don't have as much skill or, or aren't as big or whatever you need for that sport. Where you've got, like, the platinum category here, the difference between getting Joss Butler or, like, Andre Russell is where they're going to bat in the order. It's not if they're going to play or if they're going to be good for your team. No matter who you're picking in those top categories, they're going to be great players anyway. So... I think it's just a matter of, of what your team needs and where, they, where they're going to need to get that player. And I think with how the, the system works and the fact that these franchises already have all of their um, squads picked, they know which player they want. So I think it's, it's all a bit, a bit unnecessary. I think there's, as you said, much bigger issues and, and a couple of those are going to be the South African T20 comp. They're getting their own kind of big bash style tournament that's going to start in january and the uae is getting one as well so that's backed by uh massive indian money and massive massive gambling money and uh, quite a lot from the government as well you would think a bit of sport washing uh stuff there and the players can earn i think the top contract in that league is five hundred thousand us dollars tax-free and it's a three-week tournament nice pocket money i think the South African Cricket Association is not going to be on Cricket Australia's Christmas card list. I don't think they've been there for about a decade now, but this to me is actually, it's quite a disrespectful move. I mean, we're not seeing many leagues try and set up a new league when there is an existing league that players go to. And the fact that South Africa for the second time in a decade have gone, well, we don't care about your money-making exercise. It suits us to do this. We don't care that you were here first. We don't care about what investment you've made. We're just going to do it. Um, I think it's actually, it's not great for the sport because the South African test team is one of the best in the world on their day. And they won't play Australia in a proper test series because neither cricket association is willing to take a backward step. And I'm going to lay the blame for that at the South Africans feet because they started this. I mean, that they're the ones who, have first and now again thumb their nose at the Australians. And for a cricket association that is on the financial brink as they are, um, I wouldn't be pissing off the second or third most powerful uh, international cricket association. I think it's a yeah. really poor move and I don't think it helps anyone to do it. Yeah, no, I think that's all exactly right. And I think, uh, you know, they could have easily pushed this tournament to, you know, December or November or February. Like South Africa has a pretty... A long summer, even compared to Australia. So, you know, to put it right where the Big Bash is, is, is pretty disappointing. Uh, but for me, it's the UAE one that we've got to worry about. Uh, so if you're, you're Joss Butler, you're going to go that, come here, eight weeks, you know, long tournament, you're playing once a week, maybe twice a week, or you're going to get the UAE, three weeks, double your money. It's a pretty simple kind of transaction, isn't it? Yeah, and I think actually that... <laughs> We're going to stray very close to the uh, politics podcast now, but I think that the BCCI is a little bit like the China of cricket in that they are now 
so big and so powerful and so well-funded that they can do whatever they like. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter who gets in their way because they're the ones who suffer. There is enough money, enough support. I mean, they can, they really can do whatever they want. And my worry is that at some point, the BCCI are going to realize that if they continue to choke off the game in other nations around the world for their commercial benefit, it's going to come back to bite them when no one wants to play India because you lose 4-0, 5-0. And, and no one in India is going to love not being challenged in cricket. And we're probably only half a generation to a generation away from that. I mean, Tim David is a prime example of someone who has essentially gone, well, I'm going with the Indian model, not Cricket Australia. And they, you know, Cricket Australia will miss out on that. But if it continues to be a trend, world cricket will be in trouble. And India have to realize that maximizing every cent they can doesn't maximize their long-term prospects. Yeah, and I think there's a... You know, there's obviously some corruption stuff going on here. What what this league is going to allow the um, the BCCI and the IPL teams to do is if you've got a guy that's on, say, $100,000 a year in the IPL, but you really want to be paying him more so you can get him in your team, you just ship him over this UAE league, you pay him a bit more, and suddenly that money's all there for that player. So I, yeah, I don't think this is, this is great. The BCCI and the IPL are setting up teams in basically every country now, uh, obviously the UAE, they've got teams in the Caribbean, they've got teams in the US. Um, you know, the, they say it's for academies. I think there's some money uh, changing hands in inappropriate ways there, and I don't think this is this is good for cricket overall. I mean, there, there is a possibility that it's very good for cricket for them to do this. If they can actually set up genuine academies and grow the sport in other places and build a, you know, in the same way that Manchester City have in football, where they've built a satellite network of teams where players go from one to another and they get the right experience that they need. You know, clubs are sending players from the premiership, uh, the England Premier League system, feeder system to Australia or to the US to get the right level experience. And maybe that's the way for the IPL to do it. Uh, But I think to run into competition with someone like Australia and someone like the UK, you know, with the 100 last year and now this it's not a sign of a respect for the other stakeholders in the system and at some point that's going to come back to bite them even if everyone is happy to try and make it work yeah and i think at the end of the day there's just too much cricket especially too much t20 cricket if you're a you know as tim david is you're going from australia to pakistan to india to england and then you're going to go to the uae and you're going to come back to australia you just go in 24 like 24 7 365 days a year. It's, it's just going to become too much at some point. Right and as we've seen, yeah, well, that, that is true. Good for the uh, frequent flyers. But uh, as we saw in the Big Bash and even the IPL, if you're having too many games in a season, the viewer numbers just go down. There's only so much people can watch. But also you're going to start to run into player welfare issues. I mean, players have talked about mm-hmm. impacts of bubbles and long tours and they might not be long tournaments, but going tournament to tournament to tournament to tournament without going home feels like a tour and has the same dragging impacts and the injuries. I mean, we're seeing the injuries pile up for the Australian team at the moment and they haven't played a lot of cricket recently, but they had a huge nine months in the lead up to the summer. So I think there is a bit of a concern that actually if they play too much cricket and I know T20 is short form, it's not as hard on the body, but it's not good for you either to play it all the, all the time. Yeah, I think part of it's you're going from, you know, different coach to different coach. And I think more importantly for those injuries, different physio to different physio. 
and, you know, different doctors. And if you're not bringing, I'm sure we're going to see it eventually, people bring their own physios and own doctors with them. But if you don't have that same care the whole time and those same workloads looked after, uh, you're going to break down. It's just how, you know, it's just oversaturation of work. Well, that's where the, that system works, where if you've got, you know, the same central club owning a team in nine different leagues, you can share the medical info on the same head physio. So hopefully that is something that they think about if they do go down this path, but I'm with you on advocating against going down this path. Yeah, I think I think that's the way it would work. I'd be uh, very cautious of selling a BBL team off to the IPL, but that would be um, not great. I'm, I'm not really interested in seeing the Sydney Knight Riders uh, take on the you know, Perth Capitals or whatever you want. Um, it's, it's not really the way forward for me. That's fair. Yeah. yeah. I think um I think we'll call stumps on this one though, Dan. I think that's that'll that'll be it for this week. Um yep. anything you want to plug or your socials, anything like that? Uh well you can find me at, at decoppel um on all good social media sites and uh plenty of my content on edgeofthecrowd.com. Um I sit on another couple of the podcasts on the site. Um I'm not gonna tell you which you have to listen to all of them to find out. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Rory? Uh, yeah, so uh, Rory underscore Dennis on all the socials. Uh, check out the, the podcast on Twitter, on Instagram at Top Edge Podcast, all that good stuff. Go to Edge of the Crowd, uh, edgeofthecrowd.com and, and check out all the articles, politics, sport, culture, bit of everything for everyone. And, and I think that'll do us for this week. So we'll call stumps on it and say goodbye. We'll see you all next week.